Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Today we are woohoo! Today we are joined by John Gilmore and the ever awesome Daryl Andrews. Sen is under the weather today a little bit, and Tiffany is, um, I think, recovering from her Essen travel, so she will return shortly. Today we're talking post spiel spiel with a couple of very special guests the uh esteemed mike fitzgerald and the also esteemed scott gata from renegade games who both were at essen and are going to share all their news about uh the the fair and what they saw and what their experiences were uh so feel free to ask questions in the youtube chat and we'll make sure to try to get them worked into the show and uh, don't hold back we've got a friendly crew here today so anyway, but before we uh, have Mike and Scott join us, gentlemen, how are you doing? John, what is what is new and exciting? What have you been doing? Um, lots of prototyping and work lately, um, trying to get ready for the conventions. I've got three more conventions still this year. Um, it'll be my first year going to Metatopia, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the majority. I've been playing a little bit of Mansions Madness 2nd Edition. I'm really enjoying that right now. How are you finding the app integration? I really like it. The app integration is really smart. Mm, I, I'm so tempted by that. I haven't picked it up yet. It's a little pricey, uh, it, but it sounds totally so cool. It's totally worth the price. Uh, darn it, John. Yeah. Tempter. <laughs> Daryl, how nice. about you? How's it up there in Canada and with, with baseball and you being famous on TV and stuff? Yeah, it was fun. I got on TV. I actually got to travel down with a, a friend, local designer, Rod Curry. We went down to Cleveland, and we even visited the uh, local Cleveland game cafe, Tabletop. So that was really fun. Played some games there. Uh, just some two players like uh, Japor and Patchwork and a few others like that. Some good classics. And, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, happy to be here and catching up on game design. Um, yeah. How about yourself? Have you been playing anything in the last week, Suze? You know, I, I haven't been playing much. I've been playing some solitaire games. I haven't gotten out to game night, but I'm actually going to go meet up with Tiffany uh, just in a little bit, and we might try to crank out a quick game if she's awake enough for it. Um, and then I've got a game night tomorrow night. But uh, I've been playing Coffee Roaster, which Ooh. is um, uh, which is a uh, solitaire game out of Taiwan by Homo Sapiens Lab. And it's... it's super fun so uh i i know that that was at essen and um i know that they are trying to bring it over to the u.s as well so hopefully people will get to check that out can you so, print and play it or how did you get your hands on it i want directly i, I, I and also the bgg store um uh had it so yeah i know that you could order it there for a little while so people should keep their eye out there but awesome. speaking of Essen, should we bring in our guests, Mr. Andrews? Yeah, let's uh, let's bring them in. We have, as I already mentioned, um, Mike Fitzgerald and Scott Gaeta. Just uh, hopefully, I can uh, show them in the broadcast. Sen makes this all look so easy that uh, yeah, I take it for granted. But I'll go uh, first to Scott. Actually, there, I know you're wearing the Renegade hat while over there. Uh, curious, could you tell us a little bit about what was Renegade's presence at Essen? Was it all meetings, or did you also have a booth? Or Tell us a little bit about that, Scott. Sure. So um, this year we didn't have a booth. I kind of took pity on Sarah. She was all ready to do it, but um, it was going to kill her. So we decided not to do a booth. Um, so we just did meetings. I had about, I don't know, 28 hours of meetings. So, um, what kind of meetings are those, Scott? So my focus at the show is mostly localization meetings and designer meetings. Um, and then Sarah does all our distributor meetings and sales meetings. Mm. So yeah, so it was, it was, it was kind of awesome and kind of not awesome because we got a lot of really cool stuff done. We're going to have a lot of happy designers, a lot of localization deals. Um, but I don't get to walk the show as much as I'd really like. Mm. So. Mm. But yeah, it was pretty cool. So do you, uh, so Oh, sorry, sorry about that, John, but do, do you close deals at the show or is it mostly just like meet and greets and kind of laying the groundwork and then you follow up um, afterwards? 
No, there was a lot of deals were finalized there. So we're kind of working for a few months beforehand. And that's the best case scenario is Essen is, you know, let's just get together and finalize any details. Gotcha. Yep. So there you go. Uh, same, same question to you, Mike. How was your Essen and what did you do? Wow. Uh, <laughs> Essen goes by so fast. There's so much going on. Um, I had a lot of meetings. Um, I finally finished, and I'm not, I don't know even if I should call it a legacy game, but I finished this game I made that changes and at the end you have a game you can play, but it permanently changes, whatever we're going to call those games, but I finished it. So it's that moment, as John, everybody knows when you're going to give your baby away and let uh, publishers sort of guess what? I gave away two copies. If I had five copies, I could have given away five. But I didn't. But but I'm not comfortable having that many people sort of, you know, hassling over a game. So usually I just show one publisher and then find out what they think and then go to another. But this game has been going for so long that a lot of publishers knew about it and wanted to get you know, a dibs. And some of them wanted me to sign it way before I was done. I said I can't do that. I mean it's just not. I don't know, I don't know if it's going to work. And even I've got to turn over. You know this feeling, right? I got to turn over the best I can do. Now, I hope they find improvements or whatever. That's great. But I don't feel right if I'm not turning over the absolute best I can do. So so I turned that over. I had about eight meetings. Uh, so we talked about other things as well. But that's the only game I had with me. Then I spent a lot of time at the Eagle Griffin booth signing baseball highlights for the whole Mystery Rummy series. Um, then I uh, played. Then a lot of the time I did get to walk around. I bought 19 games. They're all here on my on my table at the moment into one big suitcase. I did the small suitcase in the big suitcase, take the small one out, load the big one with games. I got like 48 pounds. I just made it. So, nice. um, But great stuff. Oh, wow. uh, I felt it was a pretty strong essence. You never know, right? You The hotness list and you go around, you see some games look great. You just don't know how they're going to hold up and until people play them. But, but, but I did have a great time. And Scott, I, um, I found out about Clank. Uh, ah. having, a, having a few copies, so it was my it was going to be my first vi first visit when I walk in the door. I'm so excited about that game; it just feels like my kind of game. You so know, did I, you did you happen to get one? Here's what happened: the night before, I'm setting the alarm, and I just take a look at BGG. Oh, 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 oh how this happened? Somebody, yeah, somebody sent me a little email. By the way, it's on Amazon. So I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, Clank's a pretty good size. If I if I get that on Amazon and I can get it so it's there when I get home, that's sort of the same as getting the show. So I did that. I went online, bought it. It was here when I got home. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have been the first person in that line. <laughs> uh, pretty cool. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, they were selling out every they, – they allocated so many copies every day, and they were selling out in, like, the first five, ten minutes. Oh, gotcha. Uh, the game, I, I mean, it's like, you know – I just love where deck builders have gone. I mean, my own baseball game, I'm very proud of. I mean, you just, you can use that mechanism just to be a fun part and a way to get cards for so many different uh, types of games. And Clank just sounds like a, like a super implementation of that. So oh, cool. I'm looking wait. forward to see what you have to, what you think about it. That'd okay. Awesome. I'll let you know. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Essen experiences, Mike, and like getting up early and things like that, Scott, um, now have you've been to Essen previously, right? This wasn't your first year. No, my first year was 1999. Okay, so, so you're 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 still kind of a newbie, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me, talk to me a little bit about how you see. Um, like Mike was mentioning, like this was a good year, but you just never know. Like, like how do you see Essen evol evolving and and how did this year feel compared to, well, 1999 or compared to just even like a couple of years ago? Um, well, I mean, compared to 1999, the biggest difference is that you can't smoke in the hall anymore. So that's a huge win. Uh, <laughs> it used to be really rough in there. So, um, but I mean, as far as the environment and the culture there, I mean, it's, I think it's still pretty much the same. I mean, it, it's always been so much more family oriented um, compared to shows in the U.S., like we're we're kind of catching up to Europe in that respect, I think. Um, but right from the beginning in Essen, it was always you know a family event, which was really cool. You see lots and lots of kids, you know, just mom, dad, the whole family there, which is really awesome. Um, I think the biggest change business-wise that I've noticed is that um, I always used to compare Essen to like a film festival, 
So it was like you'd have lots of uh, independent publishers and designers, and they would print 500 copies of their game and go to Essen and get a little booth, and their goal was to sell their game, but then get picked up by a publisher. So it was kind of like a, a cool little preview thing. And, and that still does happen, but I think it, to a lesser degree now because the European market is caught on to crowdfunding as well. So I, so I think that's, that's decreased a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's still, it's still much more a part of the culture of the show than, say, we have in the U.S. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, but the show is just phenomenal. I mean, there's everything there. And the other big difference is that, in essence, um, organized play and events aren't really a big part of the show in any meaningful way. Where, you know, you go to Gen Con and there's massive, you know, tens of thousands of square feet for organized play. And that's not so at Essen at all. Um, it's all about just playing games and, and buying games and meeting designers. That's the other thing, too. Designers signing on booths are a much bigger deal there than, than what you usually see at the U.S. shows. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, talking about one of those designers that was floating around there, I got to I gotta go to Mike, who uh, was was spending time. Uh, you, you already mentioned your – uh, you purchased a bunch of games, and I, I gotta, I gotta wonder what games you got. Could you share, share with us uh, which purchases made the Mike Fitzgerald list? Absolutely. My, my first priority was Innis, and oh, yeah. then, and then I had Clank listed. So what happened was I pre-ordered Innis, Innis from from Matigo. So that's where Clank was going to be my first stop. So you got to work out Thursday morning, right, by Geographics. And where are you going to go first? And, and that three, three M area was so packed with stuff I was looking for that I tried to take care of a couple other things and then I zoomed there. But Innis was my first uh, pick that I haven't played just because it sounds so interesting and in how they've implemented this kind of area control battle and use of cards and three victory conditions. I mean, and, and I know they worked a long time on it, so I have high hopes for that. Uh, of course, I already had Terraforming Mars, which was the number one hotness game at Essen. And I've already played that a couple times. And I love it, by the way. Yeah, I'm really Mars. looking forward to playing that. Oh, I was afraid of it. I thought there'd be too much math and too many cards to keep track of. Not the case. The only cards you're tracking are the blue cards. You maybe get three, four. I suppose people could get a lot more of that of those once they're sure. good. But, but your green cards are stacked up. You're only worried about the little tags, they call them, and how they let you play other cards. But the scientific feel of that game, it feels to me there's a cooperative element to that game that's very interesting. You're really out for your corporation to making the most points, but there is tremendous satisfaction in Terraforming Mars as a group. Mm. And so if it takes you a long time, it's a struggle, no matter who wins, you sort of feel, gee, we didn't terraform very well, did we? You know? And when you get <laughs> back and you have one that really sings, you're huh. saying, wow, that worked great. So, so that was great. Great, you know, great Western trail. I'm a big Alexander Pfister fan. Same. So, so I got that and I did get to play to the booth. Um, and I think that has a lot of potential, much simpler than you might think. It's, you yep. know, that's a near mark. I think of some of his, his designs. Um, then I got Solar Feed, um, and I played mm -hmm. it. Uh, I'm a fan of those guys. This is I don't think, you know, their games, except for like Twilight Struggle and stuff, they're not always like mainstream hits or anything, but uh, this is a beautiful little game. It appears there's not much strategy. That was the comment of the guy demoing to me. Now, Mike, understand there's not much strategy here. So I'm playing. I'm saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> Look at these little things you can do. And he's saying, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. The game, the game has a lot of depth, and again, it's very simple. Uh, Fog of War from my buddy Jeff Engelstein. I certainly nice. wanted a final copy of that. I played that game for 10 years with him in so many different <laughs> forms. But since I moved to Colorado, I never really got to play the, the end product. Um, Fabled Fruit. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Know, oh, yes. excellent. That's the uh, legacy card game, right? Or like the, the card well, game that carries over a little like bit? Stor it's like storytelling kind of. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not oh. storytelling. No, there's oh. no story. It's fabled is is this word he's calling. It's like with my game. I, I'm calling it a game changer because I it's not strictly legacy. And I don't want to have people disappointed that they're not cutting up cards or not buying it because they're afraid to cut up cards. You know, whatever right. it is. I mean, <laughs> legacy is such a strong word. Right. So a lot of people will expect certain things. And uh, my game is different. And Fable Fruit is, uh, I just, you know, Friedman, 
Friedman is a genius. I mean, yeah, this guy, and of course, sometimes they hit, sometimes maybe there's issues, but wow. And I haven't played enough, but the, as the, even in the first game, we're seeing more of these, it's a worker placement game where continually new things come out that you can put your workers on. The old ones are still there until they're run out. There's four copies of each. So when those four copies are taken, you bring in a new one. And then this continues and continues. There's like 59 different ones. Now, so I have to, I think you play about 24 games to go through them all. But then you can shuffle and start again. And the game is so simple. It's just collecting, you know, making fruit juice. I mean, that's, that's what it is. So, um, so it's a very, it's, uh, it looked very good. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing more. Um, oh, and, and a power grid to card game, which is an absolute home run for me personally. Uh, yeah. Because it leaves out all the math or it leaves out the one part of power grid I don't like and it keeps every other part in. Now it adds a little more randomness to the every other part, which some people might not like. I don't mind that. So for me, it's like power grid made just for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're going to miss the board, you're going to miss figuring out the math from the first time you buy a plant to the last connection you make on the map. If you're going to miss that, then this might not be for you. But for me, it's like, and it's, and it's not a filler. It's an hour long game. Uh, it's tight. There's the auctioning. There's all the other stuff in there. And oh, I just thought it was brilliant. Um, let's see here. I've got Oracle of Delphi, the very first ever, although I, you know, no, the first ever, I was, I was trying to think back to Roma. You know, my favorite Stefan Fell games are the ones that are a little different. Like I love Roma, uh, Notre Dame, uh, Castles of Burgundy. Some of his games just hit right on for me. This one, there's not a point anywhere in this game. You cannot find a point in this game. (laughs) Stefan Feld game with no points. I'm figuring maybe he used them all up. You know, he made there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's only there's he wanted only to make so sure there's no point salads. So that's right. There's there's only so many points we get in life, I guess, and he's probably run that gamut. But no, the game is about it's it's a it's a it's a race to get twelve things done. I love Istanbul, which is the same formula, and I love these games that you sit down and you know what you have to do to win. To me, saying get the most points doesn't tell me much because on the board I'll see all these choices, especially if it's a complex game, and I won't know where I'm getting most points, right? But when they tell me, okay, get the five gems in Istanbul or the six, or in this game, do the 12 things first, you win. That I like because now I can see there's a lot of different ways to do each thing, but then I'm into it, right? Like, okay, how can I do this one now? So it it looks really great. I don't know what will happen when I play it. It it was not as high on the hotness list as I thought it might be for Stephen Bell game. So I'm not sure about, about that. I do have a shout out to publishers. Please, when you hand out free things at the booth, make sure somewhere in that package there's a sticker or something that tells you what game it goes to. <laughs> I, come, I come home, I got 15 things in little little wrappers. Now, a few of them I could tell instantly, but a lot of about eight of them, I have no idea what game they go with. So yeah. I'm hoping through the play I'll figure it out. But it would be nice, right? little sticker. By the way, this goes with this game. Mike, that's what Twitter's for. Just take a photo of it, post it on Twitter. Okay. You can know all the games within a minute. I promise. Okay. I will do that. <laughs> um, I played the Bruno Cathala uh, massive number of games and bought most of them and had him sign it. Every time I'd go anywhere, he was there. So I started with Pocket, <laughs> I started with Pocket Madness. I got nice. both of them to sign it. Bruno signs it nicely. And Ludovic? Uh, oh, yeah, Ludovic. Montblanc. Montblanc. Yeah, he does art. He does this beautiful art drawing inside the box out. So that's a collector's item right away. The game, the first time you play it, you'll say, eh. <laughs> Maybe the second time, the third time you'll say, oh, now I see what's going on. And it's very cute. It's cute, clever. I think I, I play two-player a lot. I think it'll be better with three and four. But but it's it's got that cuteness. King Domino, yeah. which is like a 15-minute game. Again, very simple. Might be too simple and not enough choices for some people. But Suzanne and I will love it because we don't. That's that's not important to us in the end. It's a it's a pretty game. It it works so easily the way you you try to set yourself up to get the tile you want and stuff. It's very nice. And Kanagawa is such a beautiful game to oh, see it so laid out. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're playing. Oh, I have not played it yet, but I saw it played a lot at ILO. and I picked up uh, Diamant because hey, I, I've loved that game in whatever <laughs> form you're calling it. And I figured this is a nice, a nice version. Um, I got Imperial Settlers Aztecs from uh, Ignacy, 
and uh, yeah, there's a couple. Oh, and and the and the Richard Breeze game, uh, Key to the City, London. Mm, yeah, that I haven't great. played a lot of Key Flower stuff, but people are telling me this is really one of the best. So I figured you came out. back loaded. And and Pantheon, yeah. which was high on my list, uh, the expansion for Seven Wonders. And I'm a sucker, right? So I got the coins. I got all the other <laughs> And a New York 1901 figures. Yep. These, you know, the painted builders. That was cool, too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so I certainly feel, oh, and the Port Royal expansion. I love Port Royal. Yeah. And this expansion has a lot to it. And the Egypt um, expansion, that's the name of it, for, for Deus. Because I, yeah. I really still play Deus. I love Deus. Yeah. I think it's a real That's solid, solid game. Solid game. And uh, so I got that one. I think that is about it. But there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> impressive. Very impressive. Uh, Scott, next question is for you. Um, yeah. Paul Satsberg was wondering um, what your thoughts were. One of the big stories out of SN last week was the uh, Luda Creations uh. and some other publishers. Uh, there was a coordinated theft. Um, on Saturday, I believe. Uh, what were your thoughts on that in the Kickstarter? Um, well, I mean, I mean, the whole situation really is, you know, kind of sucks. Um, yeah. So there, there were, from what I heard, there were four publishers that actually were were robbed. Their cash boxes were stolen um, on Saturday. Uh, two of them are public. The other two, you know, um, they, they haven't they haven't made it public, so I'm not going to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really sucks. Um, unfortunately, this is not the first time it's happened at Essen. So um, I think you know a lot of that just goes back to that. Um, you know, we really our industry is really awesome, and it you know a lot of times it feels like you know one big happy family. But at the end of the day, we have to be cautious because there are people out there that are not so nice. Um, but the Kickstarter is really cool. I mean, that that came together like Saturday night, and they threw that thing together and you know, trying to um, help make those guys whole a little bit, and it seems to have taken off. And, you know, I just think that's a testament to the industry that we work in, that, you know, people will just come together. And I, I've seen a couple people criticize it, and I, I just don't get that. You know, it's like, listen, something bad happened to somebody, and if people want to chip in and help them out, and they're not just giving them something for nothing, they're getting a game. So... Go buy a game if you want to buy a game, mm -hmm. and, and you know it's a nice added benefit that you help some people out. So I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but it's designed that like on the spot, right? Yeah, yeah, they did it. They threw it together Saturday night and everything, and um, you know, and I don't know. My thing is, regardless of whether or not um, you're even getting a game or not, if you want to do something nice and help somebody out, then by all means, go do it. So. Um, Mm -hmm. Scott, knowing that, I mean, obviously the community is great, and and still the game, still this game is a is a prime example of how awesome the community can be. From the people who worked so hard in twenty four hours to make what looks like a really cool game experience, yeah. um, to all the community support to you know back the project, you have that really great side. But then to your point, you know, you have to be pragmatic as a publisher. You know, I know you didn't have a booth at Essen, but you mm -hmm. run booths all the time at conventions around the world. Um, how much is like is security a concern or a question or like or is it just kind of like you kind of just roll the dice and you 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 kind of go with the goodwill of the community from there? Yeah, I mean, there, there's always a little bit of a concern, especially when you're selling. Yeah, you know, yeah, you have to try to do some due diligence. But um, I mean, you know, one example is a lot of times our booth um, our booth is usually very open. And we do big stacks of games all over the booth mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. And we full on know that the way we set up our booth, it's easier for somebody to pick up a game and when it's super crowded, maybe walk away with one. Um, but we're not going to sacrifice the look of the booth that we want because of that. And, you know, if we lose a couple games. I guess they needed it more than, um, than we did. And, you know, we lose a couple bucks. But... Um, so yeah, it's something that's kind of in the back of your mind, and we know that it happens. But um, you know, this was a much larger scale. I mean, this was, you know, their cash box walked away, which is really, really a, a big hit. Yeah, and I think people forget that, you know, from the outside, you can see a game publisher that has five games, ten games published, and you kind of assume something about the size or scale of the corporation. But these are very small businesses. Still, you know, no, no matter how many games they have. So as, yeah. as stuff like that is very dramatic. 
And yeah, for sure. And um, I think most publishers, when they're set up at you know something like an Essen or a Gen Con, um, people don't realize. Yeah, we might be selling lots of games, but most of the time we're still not even breaking even on the show. So you know we're we're selling games as a marketing tool. We want to get the games out there and get people excited about them. And the revenue that we may, maybe make for the game helps offset some of the costs. But doing those conventions is really really expensive. So yeah. So yeah. Well, well, you know, um, Mike, you're a a veteran as an um, attendee <laughs> as well. On you know, both as an just a gamer and but as as you know, obviously a designer. With your experience, we have a question from David in the YouTube chat, and and he's wondering as as the spiel grows, is there anything that you could see um, needing improvement or changing it to for the better based on you know other convention experiences or as Essen gets embiggened? Well, this is kind of a personal issue, and talking about the theft, that's, I mean, this year more than past years, everyone only took cash. So mm -hmm. you have a lot of cash in these booths. So my buddy Steve Bonacore is sitting there, and he's getting a little nervous because he's telling me how much cash he's got sitting there because they sold out about 600 copies of Great Western Trail. They had to bring more in Saturday, and then they sold that Terraform Mars. It's just a lot of cash, you know, flowing in. Um, and so, and I kept having to go go back to the machines to get more, and any machine around Essen was 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 gone. Now, I understand there's some things going on in the economics there that made that a uh, much better way to go. There were just a few places I saw that were accepting cards. Uh, but 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 your other point of question, I've had, of course, Mike Gray and I talked about this. Mike Gray has been to 30 Essence. Now, that's a lot more than I've been to. I've been going that long of a time, but I don't go every year. So, you know, so I miss, miss several years at a time sometimes. Lately, I've been trying to do every other year. So anyway, the big thing I miss always, well, I miss now compared to early Essence, there is no place at the show to get a friend, sit down and play a game. Nowhere. Uh, you can sit down and demo the games that are being played at Boots if you're lucky. I'm trying to get into Great Western Trail the whole weekend. I get there at 9 one morning, right, because I get in early. So I get in at 9. There's a guy sitting at the Great Western table. And I say, ooh, you want to play a little bit? He says, oh, no, I've got these other three seats are reserved for, for my buddies coming at 10. So we own this table now. And and I just thought, well, okay, I'll miss another day. So finally, somebody felt sorry for me, and they made sure I got into one. So, so I was happy about that. But but playtime. Now, in the old days, they had, of course, they weren't as big. So they had a hall for that. And it was sometimes not attached to, to Essen. It was maybe in another place. What people do now is they maybe get a bunch of games for half the day, and they go to their hotel, and they try to set up space there. I was staying at the Ibis, and the entire – uh, restaurant area at night was simply people playing games at those tables. It was packed, you know, mm -hmm. until in the morning. So, yeah, I'd like to see a little more open gaming opportunity. However, this isn't, that's not what the show's for. It's a buying show and it's a show to find out what's new. And for us, it's the one place we can meet with just about everybody that we'd ever have to meet with. Absolutely. Um, Scott, I'm curious, and I realize this is a bit of a a biased question, so maybe you can't an answer <laughs> a Renegade game, but were there any games that you felt like you heard a lot of buzz, a lot of um, excitement for, any surprises of the show? Um, give us a, a, the word on the street kind of thing um, um, that people should keep an eye out for. Well, I mean, I think that that is one of the things that's changed. Like, it, it was a lot of all the usual suspects, right? Like, mm -hmm. Ten years ago, you would go to Essen, and it was—it felt like a treasure hunt. Like it was all, you know, this discovery because yeah. you didn't have all the pre-show coverage that you have today. You would sure. just go there, and and my strategy was always to avoid the biggest publishers first day, right. go to all the small guys, and try to find all the little hidden gems and and stuff that's really cool. Um, and nowadays, I kind of do the same thing, but even then, so. Uh, I found a lot of stuff that I was kind of excited about from the Taiwan board game uh, design group. Cool. Those, those awesome. guys always have stuff that's really different. Yeah, um, we're probably gonna love them. Um, yeah, so we like those guys. Um, so Planet Defenders, I really I thought was really cool. So I played that. Nice. Um, uh, there was one game that they had there that was already gone. 
it actually didn't get picked up by a publisher. It got picked up by an online retailer. So oh. um, I thought that was a little strange, but you know, um, <laughs> Hanshu was getting a lot of buzz. Yep. You know that that really. I, I don't think it got as much buzz pre-show as it was getting at the show. So I think maybe that one broke out a little bit. Yep. That's um, a good sign, though, right? Yeah, for sure. And then they, they also, I can't remember the name of it, the same publisher had a bicycle game. That, Flam, Flam Rouge. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, Flam um, Rouge. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I don't know. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if American audiences would react to it as well, but um, it, it was really cool. Um, I checked that out a, a couple times. So yeah, I mean, I still I still like kind of hunting for the like the hidden treasure. It's just getting harder and harder because all you internet guys are spoiling <laughs> it. For me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, Mike, how about you? What were your uh, hidden gems and surprises? Well, he, he mentioned Flam Rouge. I w I had heard a little bit about it, not much, but boy, that game is really solid. Yeah. But again, as he says, you know, bicycle racing. No, it's kind of like when I tried baseball, although maybe baseball is a little better chance to begin with but most gay publishers said it'll never sell and i'm sure they're going to tell him bicycle racing i don't know but it's really sweet it uses a lot of the things that these latest race games like thunder alley and some of the others are using uh but in a very easy simplified way that's a lot of fun so i'm just hoping you know some of these games i'm just hoping end up um coming to the u.s you know i, I used to be pretty sure of everything now i don't know there's another one that i heard about and by the time I even got to the booth, it was gone. But two people told me Capital Lux is that yeah from Aporta, yes. right? That that's something that's really really good. And uh, again, that's a game we have to see, you know, because it's the guy that did uh, Escape uh, for Queen. So there he's right. got distribution. Here he's doing it on his own, I think. And so we got to hope he gets some some distribution going. So. Um, Scott, as a, so I have kind of a two part question, I guess. Um, okay. I'm a, one of my favorite things about Renegade is that you guys are pursuing, um, some of the games out of the Asian market. You, you obviously have like Kitty Paw and now Doggy Go coming out, uh, with Aza Chen, who I am a enormous fan of. And so I love having those games, uh, you know, available in the U S market. So I love that you're doing that. So my, my two part question is one. It sounds like you closed some deals at Essen. I won't, I mean, obviously contracts have to be signed, whatever, so I won't ask you to spoil it. But how long does it, you know, as consumer market, because these games are made, right? They're, they're done. So, I mean, um, how long do we, should I expect in the United States to wait before I can pick up some of these new Renegade um, titles? And um, two, you know, it feels like um, it, maybe it's just the, the, the geography of it, but, you know, game like Taiwan, Taiwan board game design, Japan brand, um, the Korean brands, they, they, they are gravitating to the Euro um, market and the, Euro, the, Euro, the European markets. And I'm not seeing as much presence, like Japan brand doesn't come to BGGCon, you know what I'm saying? And things like that. So uh, any thoughts on kind of why that is or, or if you ever see that kind of evolving with the, those Asian publishers moving into the U.S. directly more? Um. Yeah, so uh, the second part of the question, I'm not really sure why. I think some of it might just have to do with timing. Um, you know, they, they go to Essen and then they go to Japan for game market two or three times a year, and that just might be enough travel for them. So um, I guess, I don't know. I, I, you know, I know Aza, um, I've talked to him a little bit about um, coming to Gen Con and... Um, you know, I think he'd like to. I just don't know if it's something that fits his schedule. So he wasn't like Aza specifically was not in Essen this year. He didn't. He didn't make it. So um, and he has, as you know, lots and lots of games that he's working on to promote. But um, yeah, so he wasn't there. Um, so the the first what was the first part of the question? The first again? half is like when. So you you've closed some deals, maybe not on yeah. on Taiwan oh, yeah. brands, but yeah. you've you've closed deals. So when right. when can I buy the games? Um, well, so it depends if it's, you know, most of our games are original game designs that, from designers and then we go into development with them and, um, you know, we work a little differently. We don't just take a game and then, and then, uh, go work on it without the designer. So we work very collaboratively. I'd say that usually takes about a year once we have a, a, a game design, but if it's a game like say, you know, Oz's game like that. 
like a kitty paw. Um, the kitty paw last year we signed at Essen in October, and it was out on the market in North America in March. So about six months. But now his games, we do actually have several of his games lined up, but we're being strategic about it and trying to spread them out. Awesome. So. Um, and just to follow up on something that you said, um, you know, I'm not a game designer. I'm not a publisher. So when you talk about when, when you're designing games, so Essen, are you, you're not really working with designers. That was primarily like a treasure hunt and then closing on contracts. But do you meet with designers there and then do you, do you, yeah. do you continue those relationships and, and form games there or how does that work? Um, yeah, so um, I, did, I did a fair amount of pitches at Essen as well. Not as many as I did at Gen Con. Um, but yeah, we're, we're seeing brand new designs. I actually came back. Most of my, my suitcase was filled with prototypes, not with stuff that I bought. So um, you know, now we'll, we'll play stuff. There was a few things where I played the prototypes and really liked it. So um, w one of the major German publishers, he, he, likes, he described me to Sarah as impulsive. And I, <laughs> I think it's, I, I'm, I, I've used this before when describing me. There are certain games, it's kind of love at first sight. I play the game, I really have a good feel for the game, and I'll just make a decision on the spot and say, yeah, all right, let's make it. Um, so I had a few of those. Awesome. Excellent. They came, right. they came well, home. <laughs> cut, cut. Along those lines of, uh, you know, a lot of our viewers are designers and uh, they're always curious about kind of the pitching process. And uh, you mentioned a little bit, Mike, about how you showed uh, your, your one game around. Can you tell us a little bit about the process and also maybe some tips for people that have never been to Essen on kind of your process of arranging and then what what did you do for pitches just to give kind of especially new designers some advice sure now it, it's different for every designer and every game like rob davio told me before i did this that a legacy game or a legacy type game has never been pitched before right every of the ones he did were automatic risk legacy while he was at hasbro Sure. Uh, Pandemic Legacy came out of Matt and yeah, went arranged beforehand right with the company. You know, Sophie yep. and the gang are right there to, to set it up. And then Seafall was taken very early yep. by Plant Hat. So he says, "Good luck," because I have no idea how you would pitch that. And I said, "I don't either," because you know, <laughs> and again, I have to play fifteen episodes of mine. It's going to take ten hours, and we can't <laughs> do that at Essen, of course. Now the you know the base the basic thing about the meetings at Essen, understand they're usually 30 minutes. There's a couple people that gave me an hour, and I thought, oh, maybe they think I'm important. No, it's just because they had an opening right after it, that's all. But, sure. but they get these little mini 30-minute <laughs> meetings. By the time you get in there and you have your introductions, sure. you you got to give an overview. So this whole concept of a sell sheet and a 30-second elevator pitch, well, that's what you're doing. And I had, you know, I was showing components. I was describing the thing. I'd let them read some of the episode book. And because there's a lot to talk about with this kind of game or any good yep. game. Sure. So, um, so they'll say, you know, the best thing you'll get is, wow, this really feels like it might fit our line. And sure. so you've always got to, and I asked a couple of questions. Now, different designers will feel differently about this. I, I already have a list of what I want in a contract. I mean, it's pretty standard stuff, but. Over the years, I've been really surprised at how some offers of contracts just don't have them. Sure. Like, Could you give a few examples if you're comfortable? Oh, absolutely. Well, absolutely. A published by date sure. is so important. Many publishers never do it. Now, there's lots of reasons from the publisher side. Gee, what sure. if a game comes out while I'm developing this that takes this game space? Then I don't want to have to do it, right? Well, they'd give it back to the designer, but but if they don't, I mean, I, I'm not going to mention names. I know some publishers who just never sure, sure. publish it and never give it back. And to sure. me, that is just morally wrong. Sure. Uh, being a designer, I kind of I've met guys in tears who sure who that's a horror there. story. It's a complete horror story. So anyway, I always make them very lenient. I say, okay, if you like the game a lot, when would you like to see it published? And they'll tell me, oh, we're going to publish this at next year's Gen Con. So I said, sure. okay, so I'm comfortable if you want to put a published by date for the following Gen Con. Sure. Because things happen. And the other thing oh. I always, because their biggest concern is starting to spend money and having it full. So I say, listen, if you're in production, if you start anything, art, yeah. 
whatever you start, then that's off the table. You're doing the game. Yeah. Then My only concern is that you're not really sure you're going to do the game. And sure. if that's the case, I want a time when I can get it back. Yep. Um, you know, whatever your royalty rate you feel is fair for you, you know, yep. uh, put it down there. Um, if you like advances or how much advance you want, put it down there. Now, I always say, you know, if you're uncomfortable with something, we can talk, but these are pretty set for me. So it's very quick. If somebody says, well, I never pay that kind of royalty. I say, okay, we're done. And, you know, yep. good luck. And I'll, I'll show somebody else. And it saves a lot of time doing that. Sure. Um, and then uh, for me, it's how passionate they are about the game. And that sometimes takes time to see. I'm really, mm -hmm. all my deals are going to be the same. Yep. It's going to be just what I decided. It's not going to, you know, I don't like bidding wars. I mean, no. this is a small business. And it's just not the way to go in this kind of business. So I let each publisher know who else was looking at it. And I don't usually do that. But if in this case, like there are two publishers, they know each other very well. And mm -hmm. I said, listen, you got one and he's got one. So and it's, and it's not a race. The first person to call me doesn't automatically do it. It's my decision after I hear your thoughts on the game. You know, and obviously, if again, you know, people want to sign this game so early. I say, don't do that. No, wait, wait for the pitch. So for the pitches. Uh, have your rules as good as you can. I mean, oh, that's so important. You don't want somebody taking the game home and struggling with the rules. Hire somebody. I have to hire people. I mean, I use J.R. Honeycutt for, mm -hmm. uh, for this project. Somebody who gets it about writing rules. Sure. And then there are, there are technical writers. But just make sure it's really understandable. Do not. I, I don't believe ever in turning over a work that's not done. Some companies say, I oh, will finish it. Don't worry about it. Well, if you haven't done the best you can do, who knows what direction it's going. It's going to take them a lot of time. And very often you'll get the game handed back. So give them a game. You know, that's complete. The best you can do. And then now they will still have development. And hopefully they do, right? Because one eye isn't mm -hmm. enough or all your playtesters still. The more, the better. So when they go through and say, oh, what about this? And I was, yeah, that sounds great. Go ahead. You know, do it. I don't, I don't take veto control. I work with the publisher very closely if they want me to. Some say, no, we'll see you after this is out for a year. I say, okay. <laughs> I mean, if that's the way you really want it. Some games like baseball was such a passion of mine. It took so long to do. I knew it wasn't going to be a huge seller, although it's turning out to be pretty good. Uh, but I said, listen, I've got to be in on this. I just worked too hard on this. And so if somebody changed it to elves playing uh, lacrosse, I was not going to be happy. So, um, uh, but, you know, and of course, this, leg this legacy type game is similar to that. It's based on the Mystery Rummy concepts. And so I do know those pretty well. It's been 20 years and those are still in print. So um, so I think those kind of things, but my usual designs, I have one with R and R that I'm excited about. It comes out next August. Yeah. And they've been, they've been great. And I just said, listen, Frank, as much as you want me in it, but I don't want to be a pest. So yep. you let me know. So he sends me everything to sort of give an eye on the art as it's being developed and stuff. And I appreciate that. Although I'm no art expert. I'm no graphic expert. Every time the companies, you know, do better than I would. Yeah, my suggestions on that. So, so I think you go in, you be humble, you have a finished game. You don't expect an answer right away. Although Scott, boy, do we love it when that happens. I mean, occasionally <laughs> somebody, and that happened to me with the game that went R and R. I had meetings scheduled all of BGG last year with this game, and he just got, you know, he played the whole game, which was which is unusual for them. Mm -hmm. And at the end, he just sat. Oh, now this, we have to do this. So he said, you know, now he told me not to show it to other people. I could have. I decided since I hadn't done with Frank, you know, one with Frank and I knew him so long, I will I, I will go by that. But that could bite you as a designer. So be careful because, you know, somebody takes yep. the game home and all of a sudden they're not excited about it. Um, so you don't have to do that. You obviously don't have to just go on the word. But at the end of the show, I very often will say, OK, now I'll see who mm -hmm. gets the copy or I'll figure that out. Uh, Scott, we have a question from chat. Um, Patrick yeah. asked. Uh, was there any trend uh, in the European market for doing the at-night theme that we're seeing a lot of over here? Like, we see telestrations at night and uh, codenames uh, after dark. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, not that I noticed over there. Um, I, I, it could have been there and I just missed it. It's totally possible. Um, so I didn't really notice that at all. I can tell you um, some of the bigger... Um, European publishers that I talked to were telling me that they're um, they're not looking for any games that play over an hour right now. 
So I thought that was really interesting, you know, talking to them and just kind of comparing notes of what they're looking for and what I'm looking for. Uh, I think that kind of, it started, I think in some ways we led the trend in North America with more of like the casual lighter family games. The last few years have really been trending and as the markets opened up to not just the core hobby people. Yeah. Um, so I, I was hearing that from some guys over there that I'm kind of I was honestly surprised to hear it from that mm. they're they're looking for like 45 minute games. So when, Scott, are you hearing that from like publishers that traditionally like are publishing the 90 to 120 range yeah. games? Yes. Yeah. I mean, not that they only do those games, but um, some of them have some very well known 90 to 120 minute games that we're saying like, yeah, we're good there. We've got good sellers in that category. And the growth that they're seeing is in the lighter games right now. It's starting to, to spread into Europe. So, I mean, that wasn't every publisher at Essen, but I heard it more than once. So I thought that was interesting. We're going to do a quick time check here. I think that we're, we're coming up on, on getting close to the end of our allotted time. So, um, you know, we can kind of move on to last questions. Um, Daryl, did you have any last questions or should, should I just go ahead and go to Mike? Yeah, you go to Mike. So, Mike, really, I just wanted to know um, uh, what's next for you. I know that you know you're you're a busy game designer. Um, you're doing it full time. So, so what do you have coming up? Well, uh, after spending a year and a half on this one game, although I did, I was working on finishing up a couple other games that are in the pipeline during that time. But it was my only new game design. So I had a big celebration the other night and sort of put a closure on that game. For the most part, except I'll, again, be working on it as it gets in the pipeline. But, yeah, I sketched out a lot of ideas. Uh, speaking to what uh, Scott just said, um, I have seen the same thing as far as length of games. And so uh, my games are usually short and pretty simple anyway. But I'm trying to grow into board games a little more and maybe a couple of other ideas on how to do games. So I'm trying to keep that one-hour mark um, in place. I do have a game that I've been working on for about 10 years, which I've never been able to really figure out exactly how to do one part of it. And at Essen, I saw a game on the same subject that I thought did a wonderful job of implementing what I've been trying to worry about. The game is, is about, is about symphonies. It's symphony hall. I was a musician as a kid. So in the game, in my game, you pick an instrument to play, and then there's a level up building and stuff that goes on. You get better and better at over time. You have recitals, performances. At the end of the game, you're rated by how well you fit into this orchestra doing a massive piece. Well, obviously, to me, the game has no business being on the table unless there's real music in the game. So when you think about these little chips, or I had it with Ravensburger for a little while. The, they had this uh, system with a phone sitting over the board. Anybody remember that? They asked a lot of designers to do things for it. Mm -hmm. And I was halfway through Symphony Hall. They would think also would be great. And then they discontinued the, the concept. They had a Reiner game out with it and a couple of other things. Um, so back to the drawing board. Uh, getting, you know, having the music play is not the biggest problem. But the biggest problem is quality. Because you don't want sure. it to be so tinny, so bad. Well, this company, and I, you know, I don't know the name of the company. I even forgot. Or the game. I was so enraptured with how they did this. But they had an app. And they had a chance to go and just play the piece. Um, and so it's up to you the best sound you could get. You could get on an iPad. It would be pretty decent. You could put it in your stereo at home. You know, it's not the kind of game that might get a lot of play in a crowded cafe, where you, unless you have earphones where you could do it. So it's a very niche game. It's just one of those games like the baseball game was that I have to do because sure. music's been so important in my life. So I thought that guy did a great job. His game is very different. It, it's... It's getting to, I think you, 60 minutes. There have to be 60 minutes of music in the game to end it. Very, very nice idea. And so your play is around how much music you're playing, you know. But uh, so I'm going to forge ahead. I do have rights from a symphony orchestra, well-known one, to use their performances. Fortunately, all the actual music is public domain, 100% uh, of it. But you need performance rights. So, so anyway, that's it. That's always in progress. Who knows when I'll unlock that one completely but yeah i have some a lot of other stuff um that i've been sketching out yeah so um i'll know more by bgg con i'll probably have a couple of prototypes too Ooh, looking least, forward to it at well, least play well they may not be finished it's, sure it's gonna be uh, well i want to uh, i want to play some of those that sounds, okay well that sounds good 
early early prototypes are painful. early prototypes <laughs> early prototypes <laughs> expectation low that's right <laughs> <laughs> awesome well and i gotta ask scott i mean um anyone for instance that are coming to bgg are you, will you be there i will certainly be there okay so what could what are some things that you're looking for you notice the trends that, for instance you mentioned under an hour are yeah. there certain things that you're looking for obviously a great game but certain things that you're looking for that people can maybe uh schedule an appointment at bgg and and show you a prototype um so i'm actually not just looking for shorter games um so renegade has you know the first couple of years we focused on that um we do have some games coming out that are a little bit um, heavier. So I'm not opposed to looking at those at all. I, I don't know. For me, like, you know, I just heard, uh, I just heard Mike's pitch on his symphony game and I got, yeah, so that was really cool. And I would say like, um, uh, a designer said to me at Gen Con, he goes, Oh, I do really, really crazy, wacky stuff. It's probably not for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's what we, <laughs> That's what I want. Like it, the, the wackier, the better. Um, so it's really hard to, to kind of give people a roadmap and say, this is the stuff you should come show me because I think that's going to limit designers too much. And they're going to, they're going to try to craft something that they think is, is, is right. And I just want to see what, what they're really passionate about and what they've got going on. And, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, I don't know that we want it until I see it. You know, and that's the best surprise. I yeah. want to see something. You know, like Sen showed me a game at Gen Con um, that was not anything in my mind that I was looking for, but sure. he showed it to me, and I was like, wow, this is really cool, and it's not something I had thought of doing previously, but now we're thinking about it. So, you know, sure. I don't, I don't want to limit people that way. That's why I sit in so many pitches. I mean, all I did at Gen Con was designer pitches from – morning until night for four days. I didn't do any, any distributor meetings. I did just 30 minute pitches back to back eight right. hours a day. Um, but that's the only way I'm going to find something that's special. You never know. You never right. know. You're right. So, and I, I enjoy it. So it's fine. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much uh, to all our guests, to Mike and Scott, uh, everybody watching at home and Suze and Daryl. Um, we won't have an after show this week, uh, but next week we're going to be back. Er, uh, Brian Lewis, Nate Murray, uh, Joshua Lubkovitz, and Daryl and Tiffany will all be here uh, talking about pitching and development. And uh, that's it for today. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thank Bye. you, everybody. Bye-bye. Good to see everybody. <laughs>